Well, if you would, take your Bibles this morning and turn, first of all, to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 16, as we're going to start this morning. Kind of be bouncing around just a little bit. Expectations and stereotypes. Expectations and stereotypes. Or, secondary title might be, Becoming a Barnabas. Becoming a Barnabas. Have you ever been in a situation where you thought you knew what was best or what was right about something or someone, but as it turned out, you were wrong? Have you ever been in that situation before? I know I have a couple of times. In your heart and in your mind, you really believe that you knew the circumstances. And in your heart, you knew you couldn't be wrong, but turned out you were wrong. Guess what? You're not the only one who's done that. However, imagine for a moment that you are called upon to hire the next king. What would you be looking for? I think sometimes we would look at the physical traits. Uh, Things like, is he tall? Is he buff? Is he strong? Is he talented? Does he have skills? What are you looking for? Maybe it's the social traits. Is he from a wealthy family? Did he attend a good school? I mean, is this guy going to be just have all the characteristics of everyone that I'm going to be looking for to be my next leader? The only problem with all these things is that if you ask this person and that person and this person and that person, everybody's going to seemingly have a different answer of what they're going to be looking for, right? And I think there's a reason for that. What is it that you would be looking for? What is it that you think you know is right, but you could be wrong about? You know, it's a problem that I think many of us face. And if you would, follow along as I just kind of set the premise for where we're going by looking at 1 Samuel chapter 16, beginning with verse 1. It says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go if Saul hears it? He'll kill me. But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint me the one I name to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that they looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Now let me stop right there just for a moment. And you get the idea of what's taking place. He said, There is a king amongst amongst Jesse's children. And you can imagine just for a moment, they're looking at the what? Outward appearance. And as they're looking around, I mean, this guy might be tall, and this guy might be strong, and this guy might be talented, and and this guy might have some skills as far as shepherding and and leading people and so forth. And they said, well, surely God's anointed is amongst us. Why would he say that? Because I think there was just a little bit of a question in their minds, like, well, I'm looking at all the guys, and they're not really seeing the one that I think should be the king. And so he says, well, surely God's anointed is amongst him, right? Verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now you can imagine just for a moment here, because he had to correct their incorrect thinking. 
See, we as men oftentimes will look at other people, we kind of stereotype, we kind of have an expectation of what we think they're all about and what they may seem in their personalities and so forth. But the problem is that's all they were looking at. They looked at the outward appearance. You know, sometimes we might look at the popularity traits. Is he well known? Is he involved in the community? Does he have a good name? You say, well, those are important things as well, right? Because in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1, it says what? A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. I mean, what's his name? What stock does he come from? Does he have that name that has a good reputation and so forth? A good name is so important, especially as God's children. I think especially for two reasons. Number one, we represent Jesus Christ as his children. Do you realize that many of you might be the only picture of Jesus Christ that some people ever see in their lifetime? That is a huge, huge deal. That is a big responsibility that we bear as a child of God. And the very name Christian is what? Christ follower, little Christ. You represent Jesus Christ whether you like it or not as his child. What is the picture? What is the air that you give off as one of God's children to the unsaved world who you might be the only picture of Jesus they see? Sometimes we have the idea that well, I'm just going to live my life however I want to live and if they come to church, great. If they get saved, great. If they, get, you know, they turn their hearts, great. But what about the idea of you living your life in such a way that they would begin to say, I want what this person has. That means we have to guard how we live. Guard how we talk. Guard how we conduct ourselves. And not only do we represent Jesus Christ, we represent our family, our reputation. Not just in private. Not just when we think we're alone in our houses. But when we're out and about. It's amazing how often when we could say a certain name and a connotation comes with it. A reputation comes with it, right? Do we guard our name? Because a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. In the case of one individual, his reputation matched the meaning of his good name. And his name was Barnabas. He's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. But the very name Barnabas means encourager or son of encouragement. Can you imagine having that reputation as your, uh, a part of your personality, your life, what people, what people think of when your name is mentioned? He's an encourager. It's amazing how often we have that same kind of connotation, whether it be encourager, or whether it be giver, or whether it be something else. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But if people were to ascribe a characteristic to your name, what might it be? If your name was mentioned, would it be liar, cheater, fake, selfish, self-centered, untrusting, proud, arrogant, know-it-all. What would come to your name? With, or what would people think of your name if your name were to be mentioned? Or might it be humble, honest, hardworking, encourager? I believe that the world could use a few more Barnabases. Amen? It's amazing to me that people will choose to see what they want to see in people. You see, we have this sin nature that kind of just looks at the negative. We see things that aren't happening the way we want it, and we blame a person. And that person is this, that person is that, that person does this, this person does that. And we think we know all the stories. And we're learning, one of the things that we've learned in the Art of Neighboring class is that sometimes we'll see a yard, and it's all overgrown, and there's 
uh, a push mower on the side of it, and we think, well, them jerks, they don't even keep up their yard, and they're making my house look bad, and we don't realize that maybe somebody just found out they had cancer, and they're hurting, and they're struggling, and they're laying in bed for the last three weeks. But we don't care enough to go next door and talk. We just assume. And rather than being in a Barnabas and going over to encourage them and seeing what you can do to help, we take the negative side. And we find the side that is convenient for us, which is to do nothing most of the time. One of the things I've learned in the last several years is that being an encourager seldom comes at a convenient time. It never comes at a convenient time, it seems. It seems like we all have our to-do lists. We all have our things to do, our places to go, our things to get done. And it doesn't really include helping the neighbor who's got long grass because i got my own grass to mow. How often is that true in our lives? Being an encourager is not rarely convenient, but rarely convenient. It often comes at a price. I have to sacrifice what I want to do. I have to sacrifice what I think needs to be done. I have to sacrifice where I want to go to help someone else and encourage them. And I find oftentimes is that we're not very good at it. We're not very good at it. So if people were to hear your family name, what would come to mind? Would it be encourager or something else? Would it be Christ-like or something else? Would it be honest or something else? Would it be giver or something else? See, that's something we have to be honest about. Who are we before God? Because, you know, the bottom line is we can't hide it anyway, right? Hebrews 4 tells us all things are naked and open before God. We might be able to hide it at church, but you can't hide it the other six days. Psalm 139 says no matter where I can go, God is there. He sees everything, even in private, even in secret, even in dark, right? So the bottom line is, who are we before God? Let's be honest about that. Are we pictures of Christ? And a great example of this is being a picture of Barnabas. And I believe the world could use a few more Barnabases. People who will choose to see the good in people. You know, I found in my life that the bad just sticks out, right? Everybody knows about the bad. Everybody hears the, the disappointing actions of what people do. People hear the stories of dumb things that other people do. And those are glaringly obvious. But to be a person who will choose to see the good, that's a different subject. In fact, people who look for the best rather than flaws and imperfections, that somehow we don't possess. Because in our minds, we're pretty good people, right? I'm not like that person, and I certainly don't do the things that that person does, so I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm pretty good. Well, how can we become more like a Barnabas? How did Barnabas live up to his name of being an encourager? I'm glad you asked. But if you would turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, we're going to be in Acts for a little bit. And we're going to see some characteristics that we find in the life of Barnabas that made him stand out as an encourager. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts chapter 11. And I'll read just a couple of verses, just a couple here. Uh, in verses 23 and 24. In verse 23 says this. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. When we see the first thing about the life of Barnabas, we see that he was a good man. And we know why. In fact, God's word list in this text gives us at least two reasons why he was a good man. He was not a sinless man. He was not a perfect man. He was not without his flaws. He was human. There's only one of those. His name was Jesus. 
But the one thing that we see about him is that he was a good man, and for two reasons. Number one, he was full of the Holy Ghost. What does that mean? It means basically this. In other words, he was spirit-filled, or could we say, he lived daily by walking in the Spirit. Every day he chose to walk in the Spirit. In other words, he learned to, uh, to, to suppress the flesh and live being filled with the Spirit, by being controlled by the Spirit, by walking in the Spirit, by, by being with God and talking with God. He was being Spirit-filled as he was living life. You say, well, is it that easy? It really is. See, we have to make priorities in our life, and we won't take the time to read it, but we've heard many times that in Romans chapter 8, he says, those that mind the things of the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. And those that mind the things of the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. What is the idea behind setting? Is it I am making a choice, I'm putting my mind on the flesh, or I'm putting my mind on the Spirit, in the Spirit. So it is a daily choice. And every day I have to wake up and say, God, help me to die to self and live according to the Spirit. And as long as I'm living in the flesh, I cannot be a Barnabas. As long as I'm living in the flesh, I cannot please God. As long as I'm living in the flesh, I'll not accomplish what he wants me to accomplish by impacting others. The bottom line is, Barnabas was filled with the Holy Ghost. He woke up daily saying, how can I be filled? How can I represent Jesus Christ? Number two, he was full of faith. In other words, he believed that God was powerful and capable of doing the miraculous. I wonder if one of the problems that we face in Christianity is that the longer we are Christians, the less we believe in the power of God. I wonder if some of us in this very room haven't come to the conclusion that, well, I just don't see God at work. I just don't see Him doing anything. I just don't know that He's really there. And, well, now at this stage of my life, because I've been going to church for 20 years, and I'm just kind of, I go there every week because I know I should. I mean, I really even do want to be there. I want to see God's people. I want to see my friends. I want, to, I want to hear something from God's Word. But I'm just kind of going through the motions. I just want to be there, just because I know I should be there. And it kind of beats the alternative of just sitting at home doing nothing. I mean, right? I mean, the problem with this, and I think John MacArthur hit the nail on the head when he said one thing, and I've said it before. One of the biggest problems that we have when we come into church is that I come into church, I hear the passage, and we kind of go into coast mode because we've heard something on that before, and we don't really take it to heart a real second time. I wonder how often we're guilty of that. I wonder how often we're guilty of not being full of faith. Going through the motions, just showing up, just doing what we do because, well, that's expected of us. That's what we should probably do. Yeah, you know, we'll just be there. Shame on us. See, my Bible tells me in Hebrews that God rewards those that believe that He exists and He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. How often have we just gone into coast mode and say, well, I don't even know if God's there. We need to get back to realizing God is exactly who He says He is. He's doing exactly what He says He's going to do. And He's real and alive in our hearts and our lives. Amen? We have to get back to seeing God at work in our lives. And let me just jump on this again as I do every so often. If God is not working in our lives, there's a reason why He's not working in our lives. So I haven't seen God answer prayer. Maybe it's because He's not listening. Psalm 66, 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. What sin is it in my life that I may not be dealing with? That God's saying... Take care of that. Or Proverbs 28 says, He that cover the matter shall not prosper. What sins are we trying to avoid in our lives, avoid dealing with? And God's saying, until you deal with it, I'm not going to answer. I'm not going to prosper you. There's a reason. And sometimes we don't even want to listen to God's answer, which is sometimes no. Right? Because we all want what we want. 
We're selfish by nature. But Barnabas was a man who was full of faith. Do you still believe that God is powerful? Do you still believe that God can do the miraculous? We see in verse 23 in our text there, going back just one verse, he says, When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. He was glad. He exhorted and encouraged them all to be faithful in the Lord with steadfastness. See, Barnabas looked at others, and as he looked out at others, he said, Hey, how you doing? Are you, are you walking with the Lord? Let me encourage you to stay faithful. Are you, are you doing what's right? Let me encourage you to do what's right. Barnabas had a mind to look out and see who was around him and say, I want you to do what's good. I want you to, I want you to follow God. There's joy. Remember, remember what we talked about last week? Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings destruction. Barnabas was there. You've got to obey. If you want to see God work in your life, you've got to obey. You've got to put him first. What would a typical day of Barnabas look like? He'd be busy encouraging people that he'd come in contact with. Number two, I think there's another characteristic that we see in the life of Barnabas and how we can become like him. And this one is found in Acts chapter 9. So if you go back just a couple chapters, Acts chapter 9, verses 26 and 27. It says, And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Number two, he chose to encourage Paul. Think about this just for a moment. Based on his reputation, nobody wanted anything to do with Saul, right? Remember the circumstance? He was just a great, fine, upstanding guy who everyone wanted to be friends with, right? No. He was a persecutor. I mean, he went to the chief priests and the scribes and got special permission to, to bring those who were of the way, those who were following Christ, and bring them back so that they could be persecuted. This man was not a nice guy. And all of a sudden, Saul, Acts 9, comes to faith in Jesus Christ, and the disciples are like, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, guys, do you know who... Guy, isn't that Saul? Yeah, that, that's Saul. Uh, no, no, I, no, sorry, hands off. Not going to have anything to do with them. Nope. Nobody wanted anything to do with him. And for good reason. He had a reputation. But Barnabas. Barnabas stands up in a group of people who want nothing to do with him and says, wait a minute, guys. Hold on. He's one of us now. He's one of us now. Some of us might have responded just like those disciples. We've heard something about somebody. They had a reputation. And for a good reason, maybe even. But we're unwilling to trust because of the mistakes made in the past. I wonder how often we've treated people with disdain. I wonder how often that we have neglected helping somebody because we don't want to be seen with them. We don't want to be portrayed as being like them. We don't want to have the mindset of others that you know we're best friends or anything. And so we back off because we know something about them. And because of it, we have very little impact in the world that we live in. God may have a divine appointment right near that person who needs you to step up and say, hey, 
I know I've made mistakes, but I'm one of you now. I'm your brother in Christ. I'm your sister in Christ. Barnabas stands up and he encourages those untrusting disciples to accept Paul as one of them. Can you imagine how discouraged Paul might have been at that moment? Maybe he would have had the same outlook as some new believers have. Boy, if this is what Christianity is all about, count me out. If this is how you believers are, I don't want any part of it. Can you imagine how he might have felt? Now I know God's sovereign, he's in control, and he works in all those circumstances, but our human responsibility and our human reactions, I wonder what his feelings might have been had Barnabas not stood up and took him under his wing, so to speak, and encouraged those others to bring him in. Maybe we should thank Barnabas for encouraging Paul, the new convert who God used so mightily to write most of the New Testament. And let me say, new converts especially need encouragement. Amen? Those who are new in their faith and new in their walk, they need to be encouraged. Do we take the time to encourage them? And will we be a Barnabas to them? Number three, how else can we be like Barnabas? Well, we can see how he encouraged John Mark. Acts chapter 12, verse 25. It says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now in the church that was in, in, at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Verse 4, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. Now when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man, this man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O full of deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time." And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Think about what's going on here. Barnabas is there, and Paul, John, Mark is maybe a young believer at this point. But he's looking around, and it's just not going as he expected. But Barnabas encourages him. And you find out what happens a little bit later is that John Mark decides to go home. And there's been a, many a preacher, many a people say, well, he's a quitter. He just, he just failed at ministry. I don't believe that for a moment. God's Word doesn't tell us why he went. I have my suspicions. I kind of believe, like we talked about in Sunday school a couple weeks ago, maybe he went back to get more training. Maybe he went back to get some rest. Maybe he went back to see his family. God's Word doesn't really tell us why he went back. But for a season, he stopped. And then, in another season, he wants to come back, and there's this squabble. And the squabble was Paul saying no and Barnabas saying yes. In fact, 
Look over a couple pages, chapter 15, verse 36. So then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Stop right there for a moment. Think about that just for a minute. So John Barnabas wants to take John Mark and Paul is saying, uh-uh, nope, nope. He departed from us, he's done, over, gone, out of sight, out of mind, nope. And Barnabas says, I'm taking him. I'm taking him. Barnabas chose to be an encourager. Barnabas chose at that moment to stand up for what he knew was right. Remember what I started the message off with? Have you ever been so convinced in your mind that you're right? I mean, you just know all the circumstances. That you just, there's no doubt in your mind, as, as one person said, well, you know, I may not be right, but I ain't never in doubt. You just, you just know that what you know is right. But yet you're wrong. That was Paul at that moment. And then Barnabas steps up again and says, hey, our God is a God of second chances. Why can't we give second chances? How often are we unwilling to give someone a second chance? Well, they've made a mistake. Boy, they hurt a lot of people. They've done a lot of wrong. You know, I don't have to condone the past. I don't have to appreciate the past. I don't have to agree with the past. But God's Word does call me to love. And if I choose not to forgive, even though it may not be directly in my sphere of influence, God's Word says, if you're not willing to give forgive, why should I forgive you? Is anybody not a repeat offender when it comes to the sin? How many of y'all are repeat offenders? Yeah, that's right. Every hand should be up because we're all repeat offenders. How many times have you said, God, I'm sorry. God, please forgive me. In just a moment in time, a few minutes later, you're back doing the same thing that you just confessed. And God says, I forgive. I forgive you. That's the nature of our God. And if it's the nature of God, should it not be our nature to forgive as well? But we hold the past against certain people for certain things. I found there are things within the church that man seldom forgives, but God does. Divorce. Man, we hold it to people to the nth degree. God forgives, but man doesn't. But you can never do this again because you're divorced. I mean, I know churches that you can't even, you, you both can't even sing in a choir because of it. Really? We choose to hold on to certain sins as worse than others when the reality is that all sin breaks the heart of God. Amen? Sin has different consequences, but all sin breaks fellowship with God. Why do we hold it against people? Why can't we be more like Barnabas? Barnabas said no. I mean, uh, Paul said no, and Barnabas said yes. And it's an amazing thing. Look on here, verse 37. It says, Now Barnabas was determined to take with him John called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take them with one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had, had not gone with them to the work. Maybe just possibly he was tired. 
Anybody got tired and just wanted to take a break? I have. Think for a moment that maybe you just felt, maybe I need to get more training. I have. You ever thought maybe for a moment you just want to spend time with family? I have. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from another, one from another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So the work went on. Barnabas took John Mark, Paul took Silas, and the work went on. And we find out later. In fact, turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy. Just for a moment. Just see this great verse. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11. It says, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is, what? Useful or profitable to me for the ministry. So he came back maybe refreshed. Came back maybe with a new vigor and a vision to, to keep serving God. But the bottom line is he came back. And Barnabas encouraged him. And God used him. He was useful, profitable for ministry. So, number one, we see that to be like a Barnabas, we need to be an encourager. You know, we need to really be a good man like he was, full of the faith, full of the Holy Ghost. Number two, he encouraged Paul. Number three, he encouraged Mark. Number four, he encouraged people everywhere. Uh, go back to Acts chapter 11 and verse 29. Acts 11, verse 29. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. You know what that tells me about Barnabas? He was trustworthy. He was a man of character. He was entrusted with funds that he would then redistribute to those who had need. He encouraged those people everywhere who had needs. I wonder how often we have the ability... To have, we have an ability to help somebody, but we choose not to do it. Barnabas, once again, looking at people everywhere, could see certain people who had needs. And he was entrusted to hand out those funds to those people who had the needs. There's two sides of that story. You might be the one who can help with a gift, with finances, with tre your treasures, your talents. Your time. And you might be the one that is going to distribute it. Either way, that's being used of God to be a Barnabas. But you have to have your eyes open. I just saw in my life, and we all have a story in how we grew up, right? You know, we hear the stories about, you know, grew up poor, grew up out in the woods, grew up with an outhouse, grew up with no water, grew up with this. We, grew up. we, grew, we all grew up somehow, some way, with a story. And the things around us, our experiences, our upbringing, shaped us, and those experiences made us who we are. But it's amazing how often we can forget where we came from. Right? We can forget where we came from. And it's amazing to me how even in recent days I've, I've known people who have grown up struggling. But when they see other people struggling, they just turn an eye to it. They grew up a hard, hard life. And when they see other people struggling with a hard, hard circumstance, they just ignore it. That's not Christ-like. That's not godly. It says, if we have the ability to do good, 
were to do it, and what's the tagline with it? Especially to those who are of the household of faith. When we have a brother and sister struggling, why don't we step up? Why don't we just give in? Why don't we just say, hey, let me help you with that? I think there's two sides to that. Sometimes we're just too proud to let someone know. And number two, sometimes we just don't want to deal with it. And both sides are wrong. We need to be willing to help. So he chose to encourage people everywhere. He was a trustworthy individual who could be encouraged to help. And then number five, and we see this one in Acts chapter 13. Last couple of verses of Acts chapter 13. He encouraged people with his faithfulness. When you look down at verse 50, it says this, But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city and raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with the joy and with the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm just going to keep going. As one of the disciples, I'm just going to keep going. I don't care what. I'm appreciative of those saints who have modeled Christianity in my presence. I'm thankful for those who have gone on before me. I'm thankful for those who have lived it out despite difficulty, despite hardship, despite struggle. Their faithfulness speaks as an example to me. Their faithfulness encourages me to keep going, even when I don't have the strength to keep going. Barnabas was that person. Were they without struggle? No. Was he perfect? No. Did he have frustrations? I guarantee it. But he just kept going. He encouraged people by faith, being faithful. Not, hey, things don't work out right here. We're just going to shake off the dust, brush it off, and just go to the next town. I'm not going to let this get me down. What a testimony. Can I just say, those of you who have been in the faith for a while, you need to model that to your kids. You need to model that to your grandkids. You need to model it to your children's children. That it, it, it is right, it is good, it is blessed of God to be faithful and obedient. That's what God expects of us. To have a heart that says, I'm going to be faithful to the end. We see examples in Scripture where people weren't faithful. And they struggled, they paid the price for it. I want to be in the camp that says I'm going to be faithful. I want to be a Barnabas. I'm just telling you, someone in this congregation needs to step up and be a Barnabas. Someone in this congregation says, I need someone to be a Barnabas to me. Because some of you are down and struggling and frustrated. And you need to see someone who's in God's family step up and say, hey, thank you for encouraging me. Some of you have the ability to be the Barnabas and you're not doing it. To him that knows to do right and doesn't do it, it is what? Sin. This is something we can all learn from. This is something that we can all implement in our lives, right? How about being a Barnabas? How about giving somebody a second chance? How about being a picture of Christ in somebody's life that needs to see Christ at work? One of my prayer requests, and some of you may saw it on Facebook this week, was in a moment of just despair, really. I put on Facebook, I said, I have a specific and urgent request. And everyone's like, is something wrong? Is, something, is everything okay? And, well, no, not, not, not really. Because what I really want to see is God be real to someone. 
there was someone specific in my life that I said, I want them to see a picture of God being real, being alive, and I want them to see it right now. I want them not to go to bed one more night. I want them not to wake up one more morning. I want them not to live one more day without seeing God real in their life. No, nothing's broke. Not dying of cancer. I just wanted them to see a picture of God in their life. How often do we desire that? That God is real. That He is alive. That He is at work. Even though I may not be able to see it, I'm still going to trust Him. And I'm going to be that Barnabas and encourage somebody. Or I'm going to be that person who needs a Barnabas and say, hey, hey, I'm going to come up to you and say, will you, will you encourage me? Will you be a Barnabas to me? Will you pray with me? Will you just kind of take some time and, and, and mentor me and encourage me and walk with me and help me get a grasp of this Christianity and my walk and my faith and my relationship with Jesus Christ? Will you be that person for me? Some of us need to get out of our selfishness, out of our arrogance, out of our know-it-allness, let God use us.